before we jump into the text today, though, I just got to do one more thing, and I, I kind of need to call somebody out. I have been pastoring here. This, this November will make uh, 18 years that I've been pastoring in one way or another. Praise God here at Grace Point. I thank God for the privilege, for the opportunity. But I got to say this, through all of those years, there is one individual who's given me more trouble than anyone else. Like, for real, I'm regularly frustrated with this man, and, and sometimes, honestly, he makes me miserable, and so I'm sorry I have to do this, but i got to call him out this morning in front of all of you, and i got to hold him responsible, and I would ask him to stand if he wasn't already standing. The man I have the most trouble with is my wife's husband. Now, before your mind goes somewhere else, she doesn't have another husband, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about myself. And I just want to say this, what we're going to read in Romans chapter 7 is something that I understand. And I trust that as we read it that you can say, you know what, I understand this as well. Because the reality is this, I want to be a good husband, I want to be a a good father, I want to be a good pastor, but I will confess that sometimes my performance doesn't match up with my desire. And so I've got a problem. And I have to admit to you today that, that God is still working on me. Now, if, if you're not there, if you have it more together than I do or the Apostle Paul does, maybe you can share something with me at the end of the service, okay? But as we look at Romans chapter 7 today, beginning in verse 14, we're going to read about a, a struggle that Paul dealt with in his own life. And as you read the text, you need to see Paul is not going to be talking about someone else. If you were to count it, you'll find that in these verses that we're about to read, Paul uses the first-person pronoun, either I, me, my, or myself, 40 times in this short passage. And so as we stand, can we do that to read the text? I I want to see if you can relate to this text personally today. Beginning in chapter 14 of Romans chapter 7, Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. May God bless the reading of his word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that in these moments that you you give us to dig into it together, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes. Lord, to to see what what Paul is writing here, to see, Lord, what you inspired by your Holy Spirit. Lord, there's many in the room today that I know are are wrestling and and struggling and walking through a difficult season. I pray your word would challenge us. I pray your word would encourage us. Lord, we 
don't want to leave here the same way we walked in. And so do something by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, I read those verses, and they're challenging verses to read, right? Um, but what comes to, to my mind is the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you familiar with that? It was a book that was turned into a number of movies. It was actually a book that was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. And, and it's really a story about right and wrong, or the struggle, if you will, of good and evil. You could even say it's the story of the, the struggle of the natural man versus the spiritual man. You know, Mr. Stevenson was once asked, where did you find the model of your character, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And he said this, I found it in my nature. You see, he was a believer who learned that there is inside of every child of God a beast. Every saved person has a new nature but struggles to release that old nature. And, and so he said, I, I find that there's a struggle with the beast that lives within me. If you've ever studied this chapter of Romans uh, you know that the Apostle Paul had that same fight within him. He had to fight the beast that lived within him. And I know there are some who would shy away from this text and say, you know what, Pastor, can we just go into Romans chapter 8? Like, I love Romans chapter, can we just go there, right? And hear me, I love Romans chapter 8, but I also know this, that the man who fought the battle in Romans chapter 7 is the same man that declares the victory in Romans chapter 8. And I know this, that if you've lived the Christian life for, for very long, you can probably identify with the Apostle Paul when he says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I think most of us in this room would agree that the Apostle Paul lived about as successful a Christian life as you can live, right? And so we're going to talk about how he handled this struggle. But before we go through it, I want to say uh, something this morning about salvation, okay? And maybe you want to write some things down, but I, I want to clarify this. Because we can ask, is salvation something that happened to us? Or is it something that's happening to us? Or is it something that one day will happen to us? And I would say yes. I would say yes to all three, right? If you are a Christian today, if you've placed your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, you have experienced justification by that faith. And justification is when God looks at you because of your faith in Jesus Christ and he declares you to be legally righteous. And so we stand this morning in a righteousness that is not our righteousness, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we're standing in. That's what it means to be justified. And so what does justification do for us? We talked about this the last few weeks. It removes the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Death, right? Death, hell, separation from God. And so when you become a Christian, God says, you know what? The penalty of sin is gone. But right now, in the present tense, you and I are involved in a process called sanctification. If you don't know what that word means, just think of the English word sanitize, okay? After COVID, we all know that word sanitize, right? Hand sanitizer everywhere, right? Clean something up. Remove the germs. And in essence, that's what God is doing in our lives right now. He's, he's cleaning us up. He's making you and I more like Christ, and that is a process. Philippians 1.6 tells us this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, it's a process. What God is doing right now as we submit to him, he is continually delivering us from the power of sin because even as believers, if we're honest, we have to say there is this pull of that old sin nature. And so here's what I see on a regular basis. I, I see this regularly. I'll, I'll see someone give their life to the Lord. 
They place their faith in Jesus Christ, and in that moment, they are justified. In that moment, they're declared righteous. But then the work of sanctification begins. And in the process of sanctification, there is a struggle. And so often what takes place is that when someone struggles in the process of sanctification, they begin to question their justification. Right? As they, they wrestle with sin in their lives, they say, oh, man, I don't even know if I'm saved. But I believe it's that wrestling with sin in our lives that is actually proof of justification. Are you with me? Because before you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there, there was no struggle, right? Before you were justified, let's just be honest, there was no struggle with sin. You sinned freely, and there was no conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so I would, I would just encourage you that if you are wrestling with sin in your lives, understand that shows that there is now a desire to please God, where previously there was no desire. Right? And, and so that desire becomes a proof of justification. Now you desire to do what is right. And of course, when we talk about salvation, we also know this, that there is also the future tense. One day when we pass from this earth, we will meet Jesus. Amen? We will experience what the Word of God calls glorification. And it's at that point where we're not just delivered from the penalty of sin or the power of sin, but we will be delivered even from the presence of sin because in, in heaven there's absolutely no presence of sin. Praise God for that. And so as we look at the text today, I want to say we're focusing on that middle tense, okay? We're, we're focusing on, on where we are right now because everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ in this place right now, God is going to work on your life and he's going to begin cleaning you up. And one of the biggest problems we need to understand is what Paul writes here. He says, you know, I, I really want to do the right thing. But as I'm wanting to do the right thing, I find myself stumbling sometimes and doing the wrong thing. He, he says, I, I know all these things over here, they're wrong, and, 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 and I don't want to do them, but sometimes I find myself falling into those things. Now, if you've ever struggled with that same kind of problem, here's a word for you from the Word of God on how to deal with that. Now, there have been debates over this text, and if you go into the commentaries, there's many that debate over this passage, whether Paul was writing these words as a Christian or whether he was describing a person who was not a Christian. I believe he's talking about Christians here. And not just any believer. I think he's describing the heart cry of what I would call a maturing Christian. Because Paul regularly uses the first-person pronoun. Again, present tense, first-person pronoun. He's talking about right now, and he's talking about himself and here's the amazing thing. We, we believe that Paul was saved somewhere around 35 A.D., and he wrote this letter to the church in Rome around 57 A.D. Now think about what that means for a moment. At the point that he's writing this letter, he's been a believer for 22 years. And after 22 years of knowing Jesus intimately, after 22 years as a maturing Christian, he says, you know what? I still have to deal with and I still have to confront sin in my life. And so I think we really uh, need to see in this text some characteristics, what I would call characteristics of a maturing Christian. And, and I use that word maturing again because it's ongoing. I don't, don't think we can ever come to a place where we say, I'm a mature Christian, right? Because it's something you're always striving toward. And Paul's going to make the point that, first of all, that, that a maturing Christian wrestles with sin. Because think about it, again, if you're an immature Christian, if you're someone who is backslidden, meaning you're, you're going backward, you're not going forward, if there's no spiritual growth in your life, you really don't struggle with sin because uh, you're not aware of God's demand for holiness on your life. Again, before you came to Christ, there was no struggle with sin. That was 
just who you are. That was what you did. Sinners be sinning, right? That's just what you do. And so there, there was no conflict because there was no, again, no desire to obey God. Now look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. When you become a believer, understand you still have this sinful nature that wants to hang around. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I am carnal. I'm unspiritual. He's recognizing what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the human heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so that old sinful nature is hanging around, and if you listen to your old nature, you'll find yourself falling into the works of the flesh. That's the carnal life or the unspiritual life. Now, I believe that when we come to Christ, it's the grace of God that keeps us. And so even when we stumble and even when we fall, I think we can only go so far. I do not believe that a Christian can go all the way out there because you can't be born again and and end up out there, but you can move in that direction if you're living according to the flesh. Understand, instead, God has called us to move in another direction, church. He's called us to move in the direction of the Holy Spirit, to be under the control of the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the result of this new nature that we are given is what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the more the fruit of the Spirit we exhibit in our lives, the more we look like Christ. And so there's the old nature, what we call the carnal nature. When Paul uses the word carnal, maybe you think of that word carnivore, right? If you eat meat, you are a carnivore. If you don't eat meat, you are, somebody said vegan. I say crazy. That's the word I was going for, right? But when Paul uses the word carnal, he's not talking about actual meat on your bones. What he's talking about is the desires of the old fleshly nature. But but we've been talking about it for weeks, how when we come to Christ, our, our nature is changed. Our relationship to sin has changed. Our relationship to the law has changed. And so now we have a new nature. We we call someone who is submitting to that nature a spirit-filled believer, right? In other words, you're not giving in to the demands and the desires of the flesh, but instead you obey the demands and the desires of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, right? He tells Peter, James, and John, you got to stay awake and, and pray with me. And what do they do? They fell asleep, right? And Jesus comes and he, he wakes them up and he says, come on, guys, let's pray. And then he makes this observation about the disciples. But you know what? I think it's an observation about every one of us. He says, truly, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever had that experience in your own life? I'm not just talking about falling asleep when you pray, right? Have you ever said, you know what? My spirit is willing. I, I want to do what's right, but, but my flesh is there. And, and part of me, it's, it's like this, there's this tug of war, and it's pulling me back and forth, and it's dragging me down. And so Paul deals with this, this struggle. I love it in his letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says almost exactly what he's saying here in Romans chapter 7. He doesn't talk in the first person there, but he observes this. He gives a solution to the problem. Verse 16 He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sounds a lot like what he's saying in Romans chapter 7, right? Galatians 5, 17 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, you can ask the question, well, how do I know which nature is dominant in my life? Well, if you keep reading there, 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, you see it very clearly. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. <laughs> in other words, they're very obvious. Here they are. Are any of these in your life right now? Sexual immorality. That's the word porneia. It's where we get our word pornography from. It really speaks of sexual disobedience that, that covers anything from adultery to premarital sex to homosexuality, any kind of sexual sin. Impurity, what's that? It's just anything that's unclean. Sensuality, that's simply a spirit that constantly desires pleasure. Idolatry, worshiping anything other than God himself. Or sorcery, or you could say witchcraft. It's interesting when you hear that word witchcraft, what often comes to mind is a, a lady dressed in a black dress riding on a broom, right? But did you know the Greek word for witchcraft is actually the word pharmacia? Does that ring a bell? Pharmacy. Honestly, the word in the Bible for witchcraft is drug abuse. And hear me, that can be illegal drug abuse or that can be legal drug abuse. But both of those are an issue when that substance, whatever that thing is, has control over you. The Bible calls that witchcraft. Now he continues on there, and it, you can read it if you want some uh, good bedtime reading tonight, all these characteristics of someone who is living according to the flesh. But then in verse 22, he begins to describe the fruit of the Spirit. And in verse 24, hear me, it's so key. You need to grab a hold of this today as a maturing Christian. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? They have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. In other words, they put to death the sinful nature. And so verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so you see there in Galatians chapter 5, just another explanation of this tug of war that Paul's describing in Romans chapter 7. But you can take those attributes there in Galatians chapter 5 and determine by those attributes which nature is controlling your life right now. And so a, a maturing Christian struggles with sin because, again, you know this, again, before Christ there was no struggle. So the desire of a maturing Christian is you say, man, now I want to obey God. See, the problem comes when we are self-satisfied and, and we excuse sin in our lives. We just say, you know what, well, nobody's perfect, and so I'm just going to sin a little. It's okay. The problem comes when we justify our actions, right? But a maturing Christian, hear me, is never satisfied with sin in their lives. There's always this hatred of sin. There's always this tension that we live with. You see, an immature Christian doesn't seek to serve God. Again, they'll say, well, nobody's perfect. And so instead of battling with sin, they make friends with sin. And so there's some questions I, I think we need to be able to ask ourselves from this text. The first is this. Can you honestly say, and maybe you want to write this down, can I honestly say that I desire to obey God? Look at verse 18 again. Paul says, for I have the desire, right? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So here's the good news for us today. God doesn't just judge us on a performance. He looks at the desires of our heart. You know that? God has the ability to, to read your thoughts and to judge your motives and to know why you do certain things, right? People can't do that. That's why we judge wrongly so often, right? Listen, I can't tell you why you came to church today. I, I don't know why you came to church. Maybe you're here for good reasons. Maybe you saw a girl last week and you're wondering if she's coming back, right? And so you're here. I don't know why you gave in the offering or why you didn't give in the offering, but God knows. You, you see, God can see our desires, and he knows our hearts, and he knows our thoughts. As humans, all we can look at is performance, but God looks at desire. You know, so often we, we, we don't do something. What do we say? Well, it's the thought that counts, right? Can I just say, uh, between you and I, that's not true. 
Like, like if I was driving home from work and I think about picking up flowers for my wife on the way home, but I don't do it, but I tell her when I get home, oh, I thought about it. Can I just say, I'm not getting any points for thinking about it, guys. Uh, in fact, I'm going to get myself in more trouble, right? Oh, you thought about it, but you, you didn't do it, right? But understand today, God really does have the ability to see our desires. And I think many times he judges us on our desires and the direction of our desires. And so in this struggle with sin, in the midst of this maturing process in your life, can you say like Paul, you know what? It is my desire to obey God 100% of the time. It's my desire that he would direct my life. You don't have to give me an answer today, but maybe you need to reflect on that in your own life. Secondly, I would ask you, can you say that you delight in the law of God? In other words, you enjoy obeying him. Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. You know, there are a lot of Christians that when they sin, they feel disgusted with sin in their lives. And honestly, we should feel that, right? But I have to ask, when was the last time that you obeyed God and you said, you know what, wow, I I really enjoyed that. That was awesome, right? When you write a tithe check on Sunday morning, you say, praise God that I get to do this. I'm so thankful, right, that I get to obey God in this area, right? When when you love someone who's unlovable, do you say, praise God that I get to do this. Praise God that I'm obeying God in this area. When you forgive someone who's wronged you, maybe someone who's hurt you deeply, do you say, praise God? that he gives me the ability to forgive as he has forgiven me. You see, it's one thing, church, to experience guilt when you disobey, but at the same time, I believe this, that a maturing Christian experiences delight when they obey God's will. But I guess the other question that I would ask you today is this. Can you honestly say, I'm determined to strengthen my new nature. I'm determined to be who God has made me to be. You see, because when we come to Christ... That old nature, that that sin nature, it's no longer who we are. And so when we sin, hear me, we actually go against our nature, right? We're we're not being who God has made us to be. In our actions, we're feeding the old nature. We're living in accordance with with the, the old nature, not the new nature. I heard a story of a man who had come to Christ, and when he described his newfound faith, he talked about it as having two dogs living inside of him. And he says, one is an old dog, and he's mean, and he's vicious, and he's untrainable. The other dog is obedient, and he longs to serve Christ, and he gives attention to the Word of God. He, and when he was asked this, he was asked, well, who, who wins out? And he said, the one that I feed the most. And so if you want your new nature in Christ to overpower your old sinful nature, here's my advice, feed that new nature. Feed the Spirit and starve the flesh right? And, and then when, when you think that way, you can start to get very practical. And you can say, well, what's going to feed my new nature more, right? Is it still running around with the same old crowd and going out and getting drunk on Saturday night? Is that really going to feed your new nature? I think the answer is obvious. What's going to feed your new nature? I, I believe it's gathering with the people of God, studying the Word of God, spending time in the presence of God. And can I just say that while the struggle is a reality for us this side of eternity. If your life is being dominated by that sinful nature, I can just say this, there are some things in your life you need to stop feeding. There are some things in your life you need to stop giving into. You see, really, a maturing Christian is someone who wrestles with sin, and they seek to obey God, and they delight in obeying God. They delight in doing God's will. Look at verse 23. He says, 
but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and it's making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so, again, there's this conflict, right? There's this war that it's waging, and and the question becomes, how are you going to deal with this conflict in your life? Do you know what a a lot of people do? Again, they they begin to, to question their salvation, like, like as soon as there's a struggle in the process of sanctification, we can begin to doubt our justification. I, I think the most common reaction for people who come to faith in Jesus Christ and they confess their sin and they recognize Jesus as their Savior, but then they realize, you know what, I'm just as able to sin, right? And they feel worse because, again, now there's a struggle. Now there's conviction over sin. And so, again, they begin to think, maybe I'm not saved, but what does that tell you about most people's expectation? See, I think a lot of people have this expectation, hey, now I've become a Christian and everything's going to be better and this whole sin thing, that's, that's in my past, right? But then they're, they're wrestling and they're struggling. Again, they think, I must not be saved. Listen to me, salvation comes by grace through faith. You, you put your faith in Jesus and you trust him. You trust him today for the forgiveness of sins. You trust him that the cross was enough to deal with the penalty of sin. You see, if that's where you are today, then the Bible says that you're born again. Okay, pastor, well, what do I do, again, with the warfare that's going on? Well, first, you need to recognize that it happens to all of us. Again, here's the apostle Paul. Look what he declares there in verse 24. Wretched man that I am. I don't know if you've ever felt that way right? Like you've come to that place of recognizing that apart from the work of God, your heart is wretched. Here's the thing. I think we all need to come to that place. Otherwise, we're going to have this mistaken idea that there's, there's something good inside of us. We just need to unlock that goodness, right? Hear me. When someone says that man is inherently good, that's a lie from the pit of hell, okay? Paul already said it in verse 18. He said, nothing good dwells in me. Nothing good lives inside of me. I wonder if you've come to that place in your own life today where you've recognized that. Or are you still believing that people are generally good? You know, the philosophies of communism and socialism are built upon this idea that man is inherently good, right? And because of that, if we just pull out that goodness of man, we can create this utopia. But every time man has tried to follow these philosophies, it's only led to death and to destruction. Again, Jeremiah had it right when he said the heart of man is deceitful. And so I I think it's important today that every one of us would come to terms with this reality that we can say that I'm wretched, right? And and by the way, this word that Paul is using here, wretched, it actually means this. Write this down. It means to be exhausted from battle. That's what the word carries with is this idea of of being exhausted from this great conflict. I, I know a lot of believers who are fighting this battle, right? There's this battle going on inside of them, and they're doing their best to win out. And the problem is they're doing it in their own strength, and so they're living the Christian life exhausted. They're trying to do good, but then there's some failure in their lives, and they say, you know what? I gotta, I'm just going to work on that area, right? New Year's is coming. I'm going to make some resolutions. We're going we're gonna to tackle this this year, right? As if it's my responsibility to fix this. It's, it's my responsibility. I'm going to be a better person. And essentially what Paul is saying here is you can't be better people in your own flesh. Again, there's no good thing that dwells in the flesh. And so if you live by the flesh, if you live just by willpower, you're just going to be exhausted. But hopefully you've come to the same conclusion that Paul did. And you would say today, wretched man that I am. Because when you understand your wretchedness, you're going to ask the same question 
that Paul asked there in verse 24, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what he's talking about there when he says body of death? It's, I got to warn you, it's a little graphic, okay? But it's amazing. Because the truth is there are many Greek and Roman writers who will tell us that before the time of Christ, there were some kings and, and some rulers who were so cruel that they would execute prisoners and criminals by taking a corpse and literally chaining that to the criminal that was going to be executed. Like they would chain the corpse from face to face, shoulder to shoulder. They would wrap the corpse with a living person. And in just a matter of days, that living person would begin to die. They couldn't eat. They couldn't walk. Think about it. You're carrying around this rotten, stinky corpse, and that dead body begins to infect their living body. What a terrible way to die. That's exactly the word that Paul is using here. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Like, man, it's awful. It's rotting. It's decaying. It's infecting me. It's, it's corrupting me. It's so awful that I can't even stand it. Hear me today. You will never live as a maturing Christian until you come to the point like Paul did where you say, this is awful. Sin is awful, and I can't stand it. So Paul has been saying, look at this. He's been saying, I, me, my, right? This, this whole passage almost, his eyes are on, on himself. Again, this struggle, I, me, my, 40 times he says it here because I believe he's trying to bring us to the point where you and I see in our own power and in our own strength there's no hope. Like we can't dig down deep enough to get us to the point where we have the power and the strength. There's no hope. We can't dig deep enough to find some goodness within because the more we dig the more wretched we see we are. So there's the question. Who will deliver us from the body of death? And there in verse 25, for the first time in this passage, look at this, he's going to look outside of himself. Paul's going to stretch out, if you will, and he's saying, who will deliver me? Who will save me? Because he's come to the, to the, to the reality that he can't fix this. Some of you, you're, you're fix-it people, huh? There's a problem, I got this, I'm going I'm to fix it, we're going to fix this, we got this, right? But again, Paul says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And it's almost like there's this corpse that he's carrying around, I'm carrying around this weight, and, and it's weighing me down, and, and it feels like there's nothing I can do about it. Who will help me? Will anyone deliver me? Listen, I, again, I think it's so important that every one of us in this room, we would come to that place of recognizing our own wretchedness so that we can begin to realize, you know what, it's not about me. I can't fix this problem. Like if the situation's gonna be dealt with, that's only gonna happen through the power of God. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? One of the greatest sermons ever preached. The very first thing Jesus says has to do with our own wretched condition. If you skip over the first couple of verses of the Sermon of the Mount, you're gonna miss the point of the whole thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 2 says, He opened his mouth and he taught them. Here's the first thing he said Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word there for, for poor is the word tohas. And hear me, it, it does not mean poor as in having a little bit. No, it means to be completely destitute, it means lacking anything at all. Like, you bring nothing to the table, and Jesus is saying it's a good place to be when you recognize that you are destitute of spirit because it's at that place that yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's at that place that you have the door to the richest blessings open to you when you understand, man, I have nothing to offer. 
I have nothing to bring to save myself. I don't have the power to deliver myself. Those who have nothing in themselves, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's exactly what Paul's coming to terms with here in Romans chapter 7. In himself, he says, I got nothing. If it's just about me and my own willpower, I'm lost. (laughs) Paul is talking here with such desperation. And I, I wonder if you've ever been to that place where you're desperate. We sing that song, I'm desperate for you, right? Sometimes we sing it with no desperation. <laughs> but have you come to that place of being desperate? Again, Paul says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And he's reaching out now for something beyond himself. And look at the answer there in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How am I delivered from this body of sin? How am I delivered from this rotting corpse that I'm carrying around? It is only by looking outside of myself and saying, man, I can't do it by myself, but I know this. I can come to Jesus and I can look to him. He's the one who delivers me. He's the one who sets me free. Listen, I don't know what you're struggling with today. Well, some of you I do, but not all of you. I I don't know what you're struggling with today. But hear me, in one sense that doesn't matter because I can tell you whatever your issue is, whatever your struggle is, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in your home, if you're struggling today to live pure, I can tell you this, that the turning point in your life will be when you take yourself out of the equation and you begin to trust God completely. And you say, you know what, I've got nothing to bring to this, Lord. I can't fix this. And if I'm honest with you, God, you and I, we both know that, right? I don't have what it takes in and of myself. I'm absolutely destitute. I'm a wretched man, and so, Lord, I need you to deliver me. It's a message from a few weeks ago. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Listen, when we talk about victory in our lives, It always comes, hear me, when we look past ourselves and instead we find what we need in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close today? I trust today that you can relate with Paul's struggle, but I want to make this personal in your own life. Because again, you may be struggling with something today and you may be saying, man, I don't, I don't know how my marriage is, is ever going to change. You can find your hope right there in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We say, I don't know how I'm going to break free of this, this sin, Pastor, that just seems to keep hanging on my back. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this hole that I find myself in. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So maybe you need to take a moment to look to him today. See, Paul closes this chapter with a very interesting statement. He says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I I read that, I'm like, why does Paul say that? Like, it seems like a little bit of a downer of a statement, right? But I want to be very clear that Paul is not trying to convey to us that this is how it ought to be. He's not saying that that as a Christian, we should live this divided Christian life. Like, sometimes I'm serving God, and sometimes I'm serving my flesh, and that's okay. That's not what Paul is saying. And and so then, why does he say this? Again, it sounds pessimistic to me. I'm like, why would you say that, Paul? I mean, he's already laid out the answer for us. It's in Jesus. Our answer is found in trusting Jesus Christ. He's already laid that out. But hear me, I think he says this because he wants us to know that even when we trust Jesus, 
it's not going to take the struggle away completely. And so he ends with this sentence because he says, you know what, Jesus is the answer. But I want you to know you're going to have to wrestle and you're going to have to fight. You're, you're going to have to struggle. And in fact, you're going to struggle every single day of your life on earth because every single day that old fleshly nature is going to rise up and it's going to tug at you. And it's going to say, feed me. Feed me. Listen, I know we talked about it in chapter 6 about how we don't need to give in to sin. But I want you to understand today that struggle will remain. And my answer to the wretchedness in my own life and your answer, hear me, is simply found in reaching out to Jesus in the midst of the struggle. We have to depend on him. Hear me, we have to trust him every single day. But here's the beautiful thing. His mercies are new every single morning. And when we come to that place of realizing, man, I, I can't fix this. Man, the best I can do sometimes is a, a temporary fix. Like, I'm going to duct tape that thing up. <laughs> it's not going to last. But when we come to that place of saying, God, I don't have it. Can I just say, I think that's one of the healthiest places that we can be as a believer. To say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I can't do this, but you can do it. Lord, I can't fix this, but you can fix it. Lord, I can't heal this thing, but I know you're a healer. Lord, I, I can't restore this thing, but I know that you can restore what seems to be broken. And, and so if we would come to that place of saying with a, a humble heart, man, I'm a, a wretched man or I'm a wretched woman. I can't do this on my own strength, but every single day, Lord, I'm trusting you. I mean, that's a challenging reality, isn't it, right? Next week, we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8. We don't have time to get there this week. But I want you to know this. There's a lot of hope in Romans chapter 8. Because after establishing the wretchedness of our lives, he's going to let us know, Paul's going to let us know, that we need to look to God. And, and for some of you, here's what I'm praying. Here's what I'm believing. The chapter 8 is going to open up some new doors, okay? It's going to open up some new doors of understanding of what the life of the Spirit actually means, Right? It's going to help you understand in greater ways the power of the Spirit to enable you and to strengthen you. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss the weeks ahead, okay? Really, these chapters of Romans are not meant to be separated. They all kind of come together. And so we're going to move into the life of the Spirit because it's so important. There are many believers today who've missed the Spirit. And they're trying to do exactly what we talked about. They're saying, I'm going to grit this out. I'm going to make this happen. And they are exhausted, but it's the grace of God, by the grace of God, that one day they'll hit a wall. For some of you, you know that's exactly what you needed to come to that point of saying, man, I, I don't have this. I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. Who will deliver me? Maybe you're here this morning and you've spent your whole life trying to deliver yourself all these years. You say, oh, whatever I'm supposed to do, I'm going I'm to do this. I got this. But it's been an exercise in futility. I want to encourage you today to begin trusting Jesus. Heads bowed around this room today. I want you to understand that even when you wrestle with sin in your life, that God is doing a work inside of you. And it's a work that only he can do. That's why next week we're going to begin to look at, at, the, at the statement, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we've been delivered. Because we have been rescued. We have been rescued. And so I, I, I really felt like I just want to encourage you this morning. 
That if you're here and you're struggling in the processes of sanctification, please don't question your justification. Instead, recognize this, that in this struggle with sin, that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. That he's making you who he wants you to be. And so instead of quitting, instead of gritting it out, I would encourage you to surrender to the new life of the Holy Spirit. Hands lifted around this place. Maybe you just need to surrender to him today. Say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to your Holy Spirit's work in my life. Lord, we recognize today, Lord, we can relate to Paul. Lord, that we know the good to do and sometimes we don't do it. Lord, that we know that which we should stay away from, but sometimes we find ourselves stumbling over that thing. And so, Holy Spirit, we surrender to you today. We ask for your power, Lord God, to be made evident in our lives. Lord God, we ask that you would continue that work. Lord, I come against any lie of the enemy that would condemn, that would say, that's just who you are and that's who you always will be. No, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're changing us, that you're refining us, that you're making us more like you. Lord, I thank you today for that promise that as you've begun a good work in us, you're going to be faithful to complete it. Maybe today you just need to do business with the Lord. If there is an area of sin in your life, I would say this, just confess it to him today. Just confess it to him. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. And he's just not only to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's forgiveness in the room today. There's cleansing in the room today. Whatever you need to release to him, before we close with a song, just begin to release that to him. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I receive your forgiveness today. Lord, cleanse me. Ask for that cleansing power to flow even into your life right now. He's changing you. He's changing you. In this struggle with sin, he's changing you. He's shaping you. He's making you more like him. Surrender today. Just surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit.